Those of us who have pursued the decision to terminate pregnancies may not tell our stories to avoid having to explain, defend, or assert ourselves in any kind of way. As a moralized construct of colonial patriarchal supremacist design, it's very binary. Pregnancy is good, abortion is bad. So when invited to share our stories, we may feel compelled to prove our goodness, our worth. We may want to align ourselves with calls to justice or keep to ourselves in shame. Whatever the case, our stories are uniquely our own, and when we create spaces to meet ourselves within them with self-compassion, it's the nuances of them that will guide us toward healing. Learning about oneself through understanding others is something we do intuitively. Storytelling is something we've been doing since the invention of speech to share lessons, cautions, and imaginations with one another. Hearing one another's experiences can illuminate pathways toward understanding ourselves. But what if the very thing we need to understand is something we are encouraged to keep to ourselves, such as the case with abortion? My name is Julia Santana Parrilla. I have had two medical abortions, and I am the creator of So I Had an Abortion, an online offering to people who have experienced abortions and desire to tend to their healing. I am a cisgender, able-bodied, straight-passing white settler from the Canary Islands, joining you from among unseated and occupied Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh territories in what is currently known as Vancouver, British Columbia. It is here where I accessed my abortions. While the two experiences were very different from one another, they both made me think about why we don't talk about abortions and who benefits from our silence. I chose to follow that line of thought and created So I Had an Abortion in 2017. It started as a website where people were invited to post their experiences. At first, the aim was in alignment with abortion activism. I figured people's narratives would illustrate the need for abortion access, which is true. But as time went on, my focus shifted toward the practice of abortion storytelling itself. I was drawn into how storytelling facilitates us meeting with ourselves in ways that can activate healing. So in 2021, I began offering free online storytelling workshops supported by grants from the Abortion Conversations Project and the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada. My aim was to provide spaces for people to access, express, and share their stories like never before. Using a variety of creative approaches to storytelling, workshops center self-compassion, self-acceptance, and self-love. Although the funding has since run out, workshops are ongoing. Each is facilitated by collaborators who specialize in supporting people's access to healing through a variety of modalities and expressive mediums. This podcast chronicles and offers insights to the first workshops offered. I engage facilitators in conversations about their experiences to make the lessons learned accessible to broader audiences. In the next 30 minutes, we will hear some of the key takeaways from the series. It is my hope that these insights will open minds, support self-affirmation, and promote healing. Playing with Words was a workshop created by Maya Lefkowitz and Jenica Nichols, the co-founders of And Implementation. They describe their company as being interested in how things can be made more creative, more useful, and less the worst. When I asked how they felt about the workshop, they reflected on how it was challenging and rewarding. It was definitely like a stretch zone. Like it was like one foot in what I knew and then one foot in not really knowing. And so the nerdiest part of me was excited to understand the method, but my facilitator self was definitely nervous about how it would go, would things go well? 
was I skilled enough to facilitate a conversation that would come out? But it was a really lovely experience. Everybody was really thoughtful and we ran out of time, which is a, you know, a fabulous problem to have. It was a really nice change of pace because a lot of the other content that we facilitate or workshops that we facilitate, there's a, such a demand for content and not enough demand for space. And this was a session that demanded a lot of space and everybody wanted to share and everybody wanted to comment on each other's. And then everybody just wanted to sit in the lovely words and, and just have them, you know, resonate uninterrupted. And it was delightful. I asked them to explain why they chose poetry and how this creative approach can lend itself to healing. I think poetry is a great place to meet yourself. You don't need a fancy degree. You don't need to be trained how to do it. I think expressing yourself is how you meet yourself. And one way could be poetry and it doesn't have to be fancy. And it can be cringy. And I think that's something Jenica and I talk a lot about in anytime we teach poetry is that cringy poetry is still effective. That still serves a purpose. So, you know, I think for folks who are trying this out themselves, it don't be discouraged by your cringy words and what you learn about yourself from writing something that is awful. Like that's still beautiful. Like there's still something there that works. Where poetry really offers something is you can see the journey. I think it offers this opportunity to kind of go, huh, like I'm not stuck in that. I have changed. I've noticed I've changed. Even if it's a little bit by a little bit every day where you don't maybe see, I think it's a moment to pause and say like, well, I really have changed in my journey, you know, processing whatever the trauma is. And I think that there's something really magical about that. When folks experience something difficult or traumatic or something that you would need to then heal from, there's a bit of a detachment that happens from who you are because of what's happened to you. And then there's a pressure to always make sense of what's happened. And then you live in that sense making, which is hard because it's hard to make sense of trauma. And it's not that abortion itself is necessarily traumatic, but we live in a society that puts a lot of trauma in the conversation because of who is valued and whose options are valued. And that sucks. And so I think for a lot of folks who have had difficult experiences, whether it's with abortion or with the healthcare system or with the many interlocking systems that we exist within, it is hard to be reminded of who you really are. The thought of writing poetry can be daunting, but exercises that curate rather than introduce words can be highly effective in connecting to our inner selves. By removing the burden of coming up with the words, we can liberate our minds and focus on our feelings. As Maya explains, this can be an accessible practice. Erasure poetry is taking a marker and blacking out words that either don't matter anymore or matter too much. You want to kind of keep them to yourself. Found poetry is uh, you cut those words out. So if you're uh, in a hard, if you have a hard copy text, you can take scissors and cut out all of your words uh, or in a digital copy you can drag and drop them into another document and the goal is to reinterpret the words that currently exist but in a new way and you can do it with a little bit more flexibility because you can move the words and reorder them it's kind of like a word collage you just jumble up all your words and then you make them something else and so the reason why we did that second is because it can be a little bit more of a daunting exercise. We decided to do step one, just play with getting comfortable, getting rid of or keeping words. And then two, that and you can 
move around, move them around the page and take more creative license. And I would offer one thing that's that's fun about found poetry is that you can do it with any kind of existing text. The rule is though text has to exist. Um, but what that text looks like is up to you. So you can use literally a text like a page or an article, maybe a letter. To prevent overthinking and attempts to get it just right, Jenica suggested setting a time limit. And I think that time limits, like if anybody does want to use it, is a really helpful tool. By setting that first timer, I think it just Again, gets over that, like, we, I need to be perfect. It needs to be great. There's so much learning from the doing. From playing with words, we move into feeling into our bodies. Veronica Berezowski works as a somatic and EMDR therapist, mainly tending to trauma. These approaches to therapy facilitate access to where we hold stories in our bodies. Her workshop partner was Angela Lopez, a bilingual trauma-informed yoga instructor for all ages. Together, they hosted two workshops— Womb Stories in English, and Historias del Utero in Spanish. One of the big insights to emerge was that there was a greater reluctance to share among the Spanish group. Veronica described it as hesitance and reflected on how this can influence what is accessed. The sharing component is a huge part of the medicine that we have when we are in a circle with other people who have been through similar experiences. So to have that resonate and reflected by others and be listened by uh, others is a huge part of the medicine. Veronica and Angela did not change the powerful and unique design of their workshop between language groups. As a participant, I found the mirroring exercises especially curious. I wanted to better understand them. This is something that is called somatic witnessing. It's very powerful indeed. It is based on the mirroring experience. And as human beings, we have uh, mirror neurons that allow us to feel this empathy or to, to connect, to start dancing in tune with each other, bypassing our mind. So when we are speaking, talking, moving with someone, and we start to get into this resonance, a dance starts happening between nervous systems and between bodies. And this is part of what we need as babies, as children, as human beings, of being seen. Being seen by others and being received as others as we are, exactly the way we are. For many of us, what we needed but what we didn't have in difficult moments of trauma. We were not seen as we are or we were not received as we needed as we were. In these groups, witnessing ourselves and each other was a core component in facilitating access to self-acceptance. Witnessing how the witness is embodying somebody's emotion, somebody's uh, experience. And that is so touching and so beautiful because it touches that part of us. We've all been through difficult situations and seeing somebody hold space for someone else is just so beautiful. Angela and Veronica both emphasize the role of community in healing trauma. Here's where we come all together touching upon the same, even though we lived it differently. But it's like we are seeing these similarities, these points where we connect. It's touching upon this humanity and this vulnerability and this beingness that we all have. Uh, this suffering and this resiliency and this, all of this that happens. Uh, so touching, touching, connecting, meeting there. During the workshop, participants were guided through movement and drawing activities. 
I asked how these approaches can activate or help activate people's healing from the traumas caused by abortion stigma. What happens when there's stigma or when there's taboo or when we think something is wrong or something is bad and we experience it, there's part of us that encapsulates it and puts it aside and it becomes frozen in our body. It becomes a part of us that is not integrated in our system at an unconscious level or at a conscious level, but it's there. We need tools that bypass the mind and the cognition to get to the unconscious, to that part that is frozen in us. A very powerful way to do that is movement. After moving, we need some kind of puente, um, bridge between unconscious and conscious for the experience to integrate. So drawing or writing with a prompt without cognition interfering gives that bridge and that allows this frozen experience to be integrated the more i integrate and own it the less ashamed i feel or the less i believe that is wrong because it's already an integrated part of me and this is not something that we can do cognitively or consciously if i allow my body to integrate that experience and to feel those things that were not able to be felt because it was bad then I own it. And the more I own it and stand on it, the less valid this is bad feels. Curious about how people could undertake this work independently, I asked what they would recommend. There is a process there. There is a, and I want to honor that. And at the same time, it's available for, to all of us. So we do live in a society where we live from our neck up and we want to rationalize and, and understand everything here. And this invites a leap of faith into the body. Uh, something very simple, which is basically what we use in this workshop, is the image of the tree, of the womb. If you, if you think of the womb, like if you see a womb, the shape of the womb is that of a tree. If you allow yourself to sit literally with your hands on your womb and imagine that tree and using your imagination, which can extend to your embodied imagination, which again, requires a leap of allowing mind to stay away and allowing my body to to explore what is happening there and let it move and let it move me and see what happens and maybe in the beginning nothing happens and it's totally fine uh just simply allowing that possibility that my womb may be able to move to dance to communicate is huge using again the the analogy of of the tree that tree is also like the roots how we just center visually, like in an imaginative way, but that's um, to connect with the center of the earth and then connect that to your womb, to the heart. And then from there, kind of like doing this back and forward. And then from the heart all the way to like, you're connected again. It's nature. We're connected and this. Our ancestors will do this all the time to be connected. And in this case, from the womb to your heart and now to the universe to uh, the sky, the, and in this case, it was the moon that we connected with. And if you can have a, a witness, if you can have someone that you trust that can be there playing just some music and just also is just there because you trust that person. From poetry to somatics, we move on to AJ Lowick, a trans researcher and social scientist who use a variety of creative approaches during their workshop, not just a cis shoe. I hope businesses and organizations of all kinds, primarily healthcare organizations, really think through 
how to meaningfully include trans and non-binary people into their spaces and services. AJ was drawn to the project because they saw the value in looking at storytelling from a new perspective. I was inspired by the opportunity to think about storytelling a little bit differently and to not think of it as a means to an end, but as a fruitful and potentially therapeutic and transformative activity in its own right. And I mean, as a researcher, I'm ultimately the ventriloquist. I'm behind and guiding and shaping and analyzing every story told to me. I decide what to include in a manuscript, what to exclude. I decide what questions to ask and where to steer the conversation towards my own goals. Whereas this isn't that. This was providing folks the opportunity to explore their stories on their own terms, in their own way. In conversation with AJ, I reflected on the usefulness of arts-based methods in creating open and vulnerable spaces. In the moment that people have to tell their stories, they can feel a lot of pressure to articulate them in a certain way. And then when you introduce an arts-based method, it's so unfamiliar oftentimes that it can introduce this other level of vulnerability because that kind of perfectionism of storytelling already exists. But because it is so unknown, it really creates a lot of space for exploration and for thinking about things and approaching the way of thinking about things in a totally different way because it's just so unfamiliar. You don't know where you're going to land. So it's just another, it's just such an interesting way to break open a lot of ways of thinking about things. AJ highlighted how having our stories received with care by our communities can feel affirming. I think it was that community that felt transformative for a lot of the folks. There was a space being held for you to have whatever feelings you were having. There was just something especially magical about the fact that we were all together. I asked AJ what surprised them, and they shared instead what did not surprise them. The complexity of abortion experiences and the compounding stigma among non-binary and trans peoples. For folks for whom access to abortion has its own barriers, you're dealing with kind of two-pronged stigma or negative feelings. For trans folks and other marginalized people, you also have the fact that the services are not built for you. Trans people ultimately have to resign themselves to mistreatment. It's just like, what level of mistreatment is going to happen in this space? I don't know, but I know that it's going to happen. And so I have to put up with it while accessing what might be for that person a really emotionally charged healthcare encounter, while at the same time trying to process the feelings that you're having about the healthcare you're about to experience. Again, I asked how people could explore some of the activities facilitated during the workshop on their own. The guidance that I would offer is to set yourself a short time frame, so it doesn't feel like this thing that you need to do perfectly and expansively and with a large chunk of your day and think about a theme, try to narrow it down to like, I would like to explore this aspect of my abortion story or this feeling that I'm having or um, my reaction to media representations or, or, or whatever it is, it might help focus the activity. So you're not at a loss as to what to write about or what to photograph or what to draw. And that also allows you the opportunity to to dig into something specific to you or not. You can do the absolute opposite. You'd be like, actually, this part of my story right now feels too vulnerable. I'm not going to go there. But maybe there's something else that actually feels more available to you. 
In the workshop entitled Making Our Mark, Janine guided the group toward deconstructing and reconstructing stories of abortion using collage. Originally from Venezuela, Janine has a dual cultural view as she has been in the UK since she was four. I am currently in my office uh, based in London. I work for a charity that supports uh, Latin American migrants um, in the UK. And I specifically work around like access to education and other services. I also dedicate my spare time to doing collage, art, getting creative. Janine admitted to being nervous in her role as a facilitator, but having had a recent experience with abortion stigma, she felt compelled to stick with it. I went to see my family in Venezuela and, you know, there's been a wave of, or like several Latin American countries that have legalized abortions. Venezuela is not one of them. I was really surprised actually by the conversations that kept happening with my family and their neighbors around how horrified they were about these changes. And yeah, I guess it just reminded me just a how lucky I am uh, that I was here in the in, in England and able to access an abortion really quite easily in terms of like the the stigma and kind of ideas around it and and even in, in England, and that's, I'm sure, like is happening in the US and Canada, like even the rights that we have are not like, that's it. We can like rest now. <laughs> They're like constantly waves to sort of question and like erode them. She acknowledged how storytelling plays a role in movements toward justice and reflected on how she hasn't found spaces to intentionally sit with her story. It's been maybe 11 years since my abortion. And I think I don't really like, I, you know, I could probably count a hand or less than a hand, maybe three fingers. <laughs> like how many times I've like actively, you know, intentionally made space to think about it every time that I have, I've been surprised that different things come up and also that the check, you know, the change in how I relate to that experience. Similar to how Maya and Jenica used erasure poetry, Janine used collage as an exploratory conduit for the workshop because using things that already exist can feel less burdensome than constructing them yourself. You know, it's overwhelming to put things like really like spell them out whether that's literally in writing words or like thinking words or speaking words. And I think with collage, you're not having to set anything in stone. You're not being asked to like explain or, or yeah, like describe anything. But I feel like um, for me, that's why it's really useful because it doesn't ask very much of you in a way you can revisit your collage and it might show you different things or it might mean something different each time you look at it even if it is the same image it's you know it's not like doesn't yeah it can change I think that's really important when you're going into something like this not to feel the pressure to create just anything goes like anything you create is okay you know we're creating quite abstract collages so no one's going to say it doesn't look like the thing it's meant to look like because it's not meant to look like anything. It's meant to just be whatever you want. There's less judgment on 
what you're doing not because you're going to show these collages necessarily to anyone but I think often we can be our worst <laughs> sort of judges and um, critics it's quite dynamic you know you, you, you're cutting you're ripping you, it can be quite physical if, if you want it to be and it's playful trying to do the process without necessarily thinking too much or planning too much you know you're just kind of letting yourself get drawn to images or shapes or arrangements. Marielle facilitated demystifying and remystifying abortion. Her and I first met at a bar of all places where my So I Had an Abortion t-shirt caught her attention. We couldn't read it well so we asked her like what does your t-shirt says and uh, we're like in a party scenario, right? And she's like, so I had an abortion. We're like, oh, okay, very straightforward. <laughs> I guess we're talking about this now. Maria's absence of firsthand experience gave her some pause. I am a, a person that supports abortions, but I've never had one, which uh, was a concern of mine. Not that I'm saying that only people that had abortions are allowed to talk about it or stuff like that, but I did fear that... Uh, me as not having had this experience could make me blind to something just because uh, academic knowledge does not have it all. Sometimes you need the experience. But Maria's professional training lent itself perfectly to facilitating healing through workshops. In her workshop, she drew not only on her psych training, but also on culturally based sense making. I am a psychologist from Mexico City. I am trained in trauma. Jungian therapy. I'm right there with mythology, talking about the goddesses and uh, about the Olympus, but also about the Aztec gods and goddesses. I'm very into that. And I use them as a way to reflect what's happening inside me and also help people that come to me for help. Maria's approach was to create an open, safe, and non-judgmental space. Go ahead and say what you want and what you need. And it's all allowed, and I think that was a very prevalent and very important part of our workshop, that, that the people that took it understood that all their feelings were allowed. They were allowed to feel sad, they were allowed to feel happy, they were allowed to feel both and contradict each other, uh, be mentally stable because of their decision, and be emotionally battered. Knowing she had been worried, I asked her how she felt the workshop went. We all hurt each other, we opened up to each other, we all cried uh, more than once. <laughs> and uh, and uh, no one told another that their experience or their thoughts were incorrect or not seen. It was just a beautiful acceptance and uh, insightful process. This is what I love about Jungian therapy, actually, because it just connects you to something that you can't really predict. And it's so wild because it's like you're connecting to all the stories that are, that could have been, and that were. Mm. And, uh, and they are all possible. People in the workshop had some interesting reflections about how they haven't really been able to give themselves permission to think about what their body had started making as a being. Even within pro-abortion narratives, people are cautious to acknowledge that as a form of life because people will weaponize it. And so people can feel that how they are trying to make sense of their experiences are unwelcome. What was clear in this group, as in others, 
was that this perception is common and damaging. I know women that have taken decisions and haven't even given it a second thought, which is awesome. And there are women that do go through an emotional crisis, through a spiritual crisis, through a biological crisis. And uh, more often than not, they end up feeling very hurt and asking themselves if they made the right decision because they don't feel amazing about it. Mm -hmm. It's like you either feel amazing or you feel like you are a horrible person. And uh, no, you're just a person. I too was processing as I sat in on these groups. What started to crystallize in my mind was that there was a life and death and life that happened again in the sense that I I was who I was and then I lost who I was to abortion. Oh, yeah. Exactly. You know, I lost who I was to abortion because now I am a person who has had abortions and that's mm -hmm. a whole other new sense of being. And then there was life again because now I have so much more in my life due to these experiences. And even though I didn't carry those pregnancies to term, like I did nurture new life and it was within me. As with all other facilitators, I asked Maria what she would recommend for people who could not attend the workshop, but would benefit from the exercises undertaken to access healing. Her observation underlined the importance of creating safe spaces like these workshops. If you want to go through with healing, you have to take a risk and you just have to take the first step and uh, very little or maybe no healing happens in the comfort zone. So uh, you have to take it, start with one risk, start with maybe grabbing a book, maybe looking in the internet, maybe talking to a friend that you haven't told them. If you don't feel safe for doing that, look for spaces like ours. Five different approaches, five different styles, and eight facilitators powerfully returned insights that had common themes. People who have experienced abortions have internalized stigma. This stigma makes us hesitant to share our experiences, and yet, encountering ourselves within our stories can grant us access to the self-compassion, self-affirmation, and self-love we've been denied and or are denying ourselves as a result of embodying a stigmatized identity. I am Julia Santana Parrilla. Thank you for sharing this journey with me. If you would like to know more about So I Had an Abortion, join a workshop, and hear more episodes from the series, please visit soihadanabortion.com and follow along on Instagram at soihadanabortion.